Hello, everybody, and welcome to 2022. Uh, not sure if any of you are as uh, in the amazement that I am that we're already here, but here we are close to the end of January. Uh, I'm Kirsten Burke, uh, joined as always by Sherpine. Oh my gosh, 22, welcome. welcome. <laughs> I'm joined by Shane Peruse. I'm, I'm Our... Sherpine Peruse. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to be here. <laughs> yes, we, we, uh, we're just getting our game faces on here and uh, just want to thank you for joining us. Um, hopefully everyone had a fantastic holiday season and are getting in gear for a, a great new year. Um, we're excited to be here with you and I don't know about all of you, but one thing we start thinking about really towards the end of the year and then going into the new year is spending. Um, you know, what are we going to spend on? What are we going to grow? What are we going to strengthen? And just thought it was appropriate to talk about security spending uh, right now. Um, if you take a look at any of the data out there, uh, based on the research report you read, security spending is going up anywhere from 45 to 66 percent, you know, uh, of organizations that are increasing their spending. Um, certainly, there are over 3,000 tools out there that people are probably contacting you about. Hey, do you want to buy? Do you want to buy? So um, there's a lot of pressure out there to really try to get your security posture in order. And when we talk about spending and, and budgets to our customers, um, we've really kind of changed the dialogue. And it's not really if you're going to spend, but it's how are you going to spend and when are you going to do it? And if any of you saw the graphic that we promoted this with, um, there were a couple of mason jars and one showed uh, security spending before a breach and there were a couple coins in there and security spending after a breach and the jar was overflowing. And you know, certainly there are options for how and when you spend on your security. And we really wanted to talk about that today. So Shaheen, um, I'll let you start off uh, just with some early thoughts on um, maybe how the philosophy around spending has, has changed. So we've all um, the we've all seen the shift of the CISO and the the role of the CISO moving up into the boardroom rather than being delegated down to um, the VP of IT or the CIO at best. It's but that that role has now become a board visible position. It's an important uh, position for the company, and then um, security spend is tied to that role. The the positive side of it is that that visibility is happening at the executive team level. The negative side of it is that many organizations are still looking at spend in security as something that doesn't affect the bottom line directly. And it isn't until a breach happens that they realize, holy cow, we were out of business for days, weeks, months, uh, and sometimes uh, many months, uh, and the impact to business was huge. So the security spend commiserately goes up significantly. Um, but the point you made is actually an interesting one. We have multiple use cases where we have um, prospects or customers that have come to us in the middle of a breach. And um, not only did their security spend go up after the breach, but their spend um, wasn't like a regular spend. The breach caused a significant spike in spend that was not planned. As an example, we uh, we've had customers that have been hit with ransomware that you know their ransom might have been in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, um, and uh, the insurance company covered most of that with with the exception of some small percentage that they had to pay. 
but the actual recovery was in the millions of dollars because they ended up having to build infrastructure in parallel to so they can decrypt the data even when they got the ransom key back. They had lost time associated with recovery that their people were not able to develop their products and release their products and manage their pipelines. So the, 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 there's more than just the spend towards security, but the impact of a breach has this massive spike that um, we don't think about until after we've been breached and realize, holy cow, if I just spent another 20 or 30% more than what I was spending, I could have avoided this millions of dollars of unexpected expense. Right, right. Well, and um, you mentioned something that that's an interesting point. We think about cyber security or this quote cyber spend. You think maybe of firewalls, or you know, you you kind of think about that side of the house. But what we're seeing more and more, there's an infrastructure resilience. Um, there's a bleed over into infrastructure more and more, and those areas are needing more and more to be. Um, complementary, or, or we need to make sure that things are are, are working well together. But um, you know the the impact of ransomware, right? When something gets encrypted, um, you know, do you have the appropriate uh, backup and recovery strategy? So, what are your thoughts about how um, all of this cyber um, the, the nefariousness of these cyber attackers is really uh, bleeding more and more into the general operations, if you will, of IT? Well, we our entire go-to-market, um, as you know, since you're our CMO, is um, about digital resilience. And, and I think it's important to talk a minute about what digital resilience is. Um, the reason I say that is I just talked about how the CISO has now board visible and it's become a primary role. The CISO is tied to cyber resilience and the tagline we see all over Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn is cyber resilience, not digital resilience. And the distinction there is cyber resilience is focused on those things that a security set of tools would address, the security controls. Um, you could even tie in potentially compliance level controls to that security. Those things oftentimes map, not always in every company, but they should. And so the cyber resilience is about, you know, the endpoint protection, the firewalling, the email protection, the the DNS defenses to prevent people from going to known bad sites. Those are all things that are cyber related, but they can't be confused with digital resilience. We define digital resilience as a combination of infrastructure resilience, as you were saying, plus cyber resilience. You need both. Infrastructure resilience comes in a couple of forms. When we talk about the network, um, typically when think people think of security, they usually have the firewall management managed by the security team, not the operations team. So firewalls automatically go into the security category. So therefore cyber, but the rest of the network is still pretty critical. You've got your corporate assets and jewels across all of your network information, the data that will get encrypted if ransomware hits, the data that will get ransomed is across your servers, not your firewalls. And firewalls alone are not enough to protect you from getting people inside. So the infrastructure resilience really comes into several layers. The, the first layer is how do you stop at the core network level, the lateral movement of uh, an attack? How do you reduce your attack surface? And, and so the first level is really segmentation. Some of the largest breaches in the world that we're all familiar with, the big names, were 
directly related to a lack of segmentation, which allowed lateral movement to happen, which allowed the hackers to find the crown jewels and encrypt or steal the crown jewels. So that's that's number one. The second level is access to your network. So um, especially now after COVID, people have gone home and now that people are remote and distributed and you know most companies are saying, we're gonna be some percentage, we're not sure what yet staying remote. Uh, maybe it's 50%, maybe it's 70%, don't know. Um, but when you think about that, that's very different than the maybe 25% of remote workers we had before COVID. So it's that massive increase now means that the secure access, secure edge has really pushed out to the home. And the implication of that is traditional VPN doesn't work. Traditional VPN is a is the opposite of zero trust. It's full trust. The minute a device gets a VPN IP address on your network, unless you have solid segmentation and application segmentation, you your that IP address now has access to your network. They're fully trusted and Im implicitly trusted versus explicitly trusted in a segmented or zero trust model. So that's the second layer is how do you protect your corporate assets if somebody's home machine is compromised and they drop onto your network? And then the final layer above and beyond all that is recovery, which you were hinting at. So you, you created this set of controls and tool sets to protect assets so people can't get to them. So encryption doesn't happen. There's no control that's foolproof. There's always going to be something that happens and you need to be able to recover. Um, we, we had a recent um, incident with uh, one of our customers, which lateral movement spread rapidly to about 700 systems in a very short period of time. We were, because we were in there and we were managing their endpoint security for them, we were able to stop it before it did any encryption and caused any impact across all of those endpoints. Um, but one of the servers in the rollback and recovery was corrupted. And so they had to restore one server from backup. Now that, that sounds like a huge win, that sounds like, oh my God, only one server out of 700 systems was impacted and had to be restored from backup. And thank goodness they had a solid backup strategy and they were able to do that. If they didn't, that one server would have to be rebuilt and whatever data was on it may or may not be recovered. They may have been lost business. They may have been lost productivity. So that's, that's the things to think about when you think about a digital resilience budget as opposed to just a cyber budget or just a infrastructure budget. Your IT and security teams have now split, but there is definitely some correlation between those two teams and the spend to make sure that not only are you protecting the crown jewels, but you're able to provide reliable services to your customers and your employees, and you're able to recover if something should happen. Sure, right. Well, and it's interesting, um, <clears throat> this ties into, uh, I, I was doing some research just on spending this year and a real interesting quote that I think we are seeing play out in the, a lot of the conversations we're having. Um, the, the analyst said, you know, cyber spending um, recently has really shifted from making sure you have the most current tools, you know, the latest and greatest, but really the priority needs to be on understanding your business, understanding where your risks are, where your vulnerabilities are, and then being able to, uh, with each of those risks, prioritize um, which of these are most um, likely or most vulnerable to attack 
and which of these, if we are attacked, are going to cause the most business disruption. And, you know, just like you're saying, um, that goes beyond, you know, a firewall or a VPN. I mean, that really, you know, you're talking about access, you're talking about, but, but at the end of the day, we're talking about the data, right? And, and where is that data stored? Is it in the cloud? Um, you know, where are all of your endpoints? You know, how is access granted? And, and these attackers have become so creative that, you know, they are very likely to be able to find where your gaps and where your holes are. So if you don't have an awareness of that um, and, and kind of a, a, a attack plan or, or a attack mitigation plan, um, you know, you're kind of starting at a deficit. Agreed. Do you find, um, you know, for, for folks that feel like, well, I've already spent, right? So we're talking about the budgets, we're saying spend 20% more or, or whatever, but if we've already spent, uh, what do we do? Um, you know, we, we've, we have these tools, we have, you know, a, for any organization, for a lot of these organizations, again, you know, trust how you will in the research, but, you know, an average organization might have uh, 20 tools, they might have 40 security tools. So I've spent, right? How do I understand First of all, I can't throw that spend away, um, but how do I leverage what I've got? How do I understand how to improve? Because I can't throw the whole thing out and, and bring net new in. Yeah, I'm going to shift my hat for a second to the CTO of a managed security service provider and talk to it from that perspective. It's This is a very biased perspective on this, but with with all due sincerity, I say that if if I was in the shoes of our customers... I would select a managed security service provider to, to solve this problem. Um, I've already spent, I've spent years and time and money to build out the set of, and I don't mean me, I mean as an individual, to build out what I think are the best security controls. I've spent time with Gartner, I've spent time with other analysts to figure out who's in the respective magic quadrants and what tools I should pick and what my peers say and what the industry says. And I put all these tools together but there is no silver bullet tool that covers all these different categories. So you've got, you know, some technology for inbound email protection, another technology for phishing detection, another one for security awareness, another one for endpoint security, another one for DNS defense, another one for network threat analysis, another one for um, business application analysis. So all these different technologies and tools that now you have to look at 32 different lenses to figure out what's going on in my network. And you have to hire really, really smart and expensive people to either collate that data into another database so that you can correlate it in information and get information out of it or insights out of it. Or you look at somebody who's already built all that and as turnkey solutions that takes it to market. What I just described is what we do on a day-in, day-out basis. We, we have over 40 technologies we use in our stacks for our managed security services. Those technologies are worthless on a standalone basis. They don't add a lot of value on an individual basis. They help. Every single control helps. But holistically, when you put them all together, if you don't have a lens that sees across all of them, you're really dealing with a bunch of silos and dealing with silos means that information is getting missed. 
some tool may identify a breach or an attack or indications of compromise, but it might miss it too. And another tool might see attributes of it and it might not be meaningful to either of those tools. But when you correlate that data together saying both these tools saw something that looked fishy, no pun intended, then I'm going to jump in and, and investigate a little further. And that's what a, I'm not gonna generically say managed security service provider does what a good managed security service provider does. That level of integration should be there. There's buyer beware, there's plenty of managed security service providers that pick one tool because it's easy. And, and they come at you and say, I've got XDR or I've got MDR or whatever. That's not enough. You need to be able to correlate many technologies together. And, and the more specific answer to your question is one of the components that I think we uniquely and, and very differentiated offer as part of our SOC and MDR offerings is our security controls validation. How do I know if my tools are working? Mm -hmm. And we do that regardless of what technology stack a customer has picked where we're testing their security controls each month and giving them what um, tactics, techniques, and procedures from the MITRE attack matrix successfully would have implicated them or caused a um, uh, attack to be successful and then give them remediation actions for how to close those gaps. So having a SIM, great. SIM alone, worthless. A SIM without a SOC, completely worthless. So. When you think about the stack, it's, you know, are, are we simply trying to meet regulatory requirements and mark off checkboxes saying, yes, we have an EDR. Yes, we have a SIM. Yes, we have uh, email uh, antivirus. Yes, we have whatever the tools are that are required. Um, is that enough? Or are we actually trying to protect our company mm -hmm. from an attack? And, and if it's the latter, then it's really time for all of us to evaluate. I know I picked all these tools. I know I've implemented all these tools. Many of them I've inherited from my predecessor. Is it time to look at this differently and become a consumer of a fully integrated turnkey solution? So listening to you say this, I put myself in, in the shoes of maybe somebody listening. <clears throat> and if I'm say a relatively large enterprise, let's say I've got 1,000, 2,000 employees, we're all over the world, I'm, I might be resonating a lot with what you're saying because maybe I'm thinking, you know, I've got my teams, I've got this, I've got that. If I'm a smaller company, I might be thinking, I don't need this, right? Why, why, do, I, why do I need this much of a complicated solution? What would you say to an organization that is, I don't know, you know, a hundred employees or 200. I mean, what would you say to those that are a little bit smaller that say, this is just that that's too much. That That's not what we need. We recently had a customer that's 10 employees get compromised and um, that their leadership team had recognized that they had very large, well, let me, let me rephrase it. They have very large contracts with very large industries and they, part of those contracts were they had to have particular security controls in place. So they recognized they had to do something and they implemented um, our solutions. That, uh, that was post-compromise. So that was, again, what we said up front. There is no, the, the hackers are indiscriminate uh, when it comes to shotgun blasting who they attack. They're throwing there was a, a article I read that said 45% of attacks in 21 were generated from hacking kits. So 
not people who are hackers and are good hackers, people who went out on the dark web and bought a hacking kit and think of it as ransomware as a service model and, and implemented an attack. These guys aren't necessarily all, basically says half of them aren't brilliant. They're just wanting to try to earn an extra buck. And they don't care if that comes from a 10 person company or if it comes from a 3000 person company. Mm -hmm. The reality is if you've got, a, if you have customers and you're delivering a service and you can't deliver those services, what does that mean to your business? Mm -hmm. A smaller company is at a much higher risk of losing everything mm -hmm. than a large company that may have some buffer. So I would say the financial position of everything we're talking about in managed security services is that it's way more appealing for a small company than it is for a large company. For a large company, it takes time to implement managed services because you've already made these investments as you described. So, but, and you have to bear those investments out to make cost justification for what will you do. So when it's time to renew your endpoint security is a great time to look at managed service provider for that service for endpoint security. When it's time to renew your SIM or your SOC, if you're outsourced already, that's a great time to reevaluate if you're using the right SOC or if you should look at a, a SOC as a service offering. Um, so it's different uh, in terms of buying cycle for mm -hmm. an enterprise versus a small company. Small companies usually are using traditional antivirus or, or consumer-based uh, protection devices and they're using um, single office or home office type equipment for firewalling. They're not super well protected. So they are more the target of a adversary than a large company who has some enterprise class systems like Palo Alto firewalls. They've got CrowdStrike, for example, as a, as a protection tool. Right. Um, but even so, we, you know, for the enterprise, we get back to the 32 console problem. For mm -hmm. the small business, we get back to how do you cost effectively get 32 products right. and managed in a simple model so that you can consume those services. Right. And for the small company, it's, it's, it's a no brainer decision from my perspective to go with an MSP, uh, MSSP for the large company. It's, it's really looking at the TCO, what understanding you've spent, you made this investment. When is it time to make that shift? And it always is usually around the, um, uh, whenever it's time to renew or refresh technologies. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and, you know, what's the opportunity cost for them of um, how their people are deployed, you know, what they're focused on and how, you know, is that, does that bring the most value to the business? Right. Or, or can, can those teams be adding more value doing other, doing other things? Um, the and, interesting uh, thing about the small business too, is you know, there might be a mindset that, well, you know, we've got this data and if they get in whatever, but it's not necessarily just about your data. Um, it's about if someone gets in and understands um, your invoicing or who your AP or AR person is, and then is able to attack your customers through breaching your systems, right? Then all of a sudden, you know, maybe maybe you don't feel the risk to you as that large, but if they're going out and if some of your customers um, are larger customers, that attack can have severe consequences on that customer. So, I mean, it, it goes back also to that supply chain that, um, you know, you can't just think about it in terms of you and your business, but all of the other people that are upstream and downstream of your business. 
how many stories have we heard that um, somebody got uh, fished and paid a large sum of money to what they thought was one of their contractor companies, mm -hmm. uh, when in fact it was a man in the middle, somebody saw invoicing dialogue, they jumped in the middle of it, and they uh, they looked very much like they were coming from the, the contractor company and a, a not a ransom, but a payment was made to that company and sometimes large payments, um, which is very hard to, to recover because they do a good job of covering their tracks. So um, that that comes into the areas of fishing and fishing protection and um, it's it's more impersonation, which not all fishing solutions do. Um, it also cover is covered in the areas of security awareness training, so you can mm -hmm. help identify, you know, what things people are looking at and how to identify something that looks a little fishy. This time the pun was intended, mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's that that story unfortunately is way too common. I hear it all the time, and it's it's unfortunate is the best word to use for it because usually it's not until after you've pulled the trigger and wired the money that you find out, oh, that was a mistake. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that as, a, as the company who is being spoofed, that's a terrible experience because now your customers don't want to work with you anymore because you're not secure. Mm -hmm. uh, as the company that was the target of the spoof, they're, they're beyond pissed off because they just paid some okay. amount of money that they will never recover for the hard work they've been doing as a company. So on both sides of that equation, a good solid, you know, cyber resilience and infrastructure resilience plan would have helped, would have, and, and, and in the small business case, that's a very difficult thing to build on your own. Right, right. And most MSPs, because most of the small businesses grow into MSPs, most MSPs aren't capable of giving that level of service. Mm -hmm. They're they're really good at doing help desk. They're really good at doing um, server and PC management and patching, um, you know, email management. But when it comes to security, that's not necessarily their forte. Right, right. Well, I guess the takeaways from today then are, you know, when you think about your budget, when you think about spending, um, you know, maybe not having a tool centric perspective, but a need and vulnerability and impact perspective um, that these attackers, whether they're nation state or they've just bought a kit are equal opportunity. So they don't care how big you are. They don't care how small you are. They don't, you know, they're out there looking for someone to bite. And so, although you may depending on where, where, where you feel you are, um, everyone, everyone's in that same boat. Um, and the other takeaway would be having a clear understanding of what your vulnerabilities are and um, maybe the things that you need to prioritize is critical. Um, yep. So you know, in thinking about that, you talked a little bit about our security help. Well, you talked about a security controls validation, but um, you know, we always like to close with an action you can take. And I think for sure, um, something folks can take away from this is uh, our offer for our viewers to take advantage of our security health check. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll let you go into that, but that kind of gives you a roadmap, but also um, there is a cost analysis that comes out of that, you know, that can say, hey, this is, this is how you might think about doing this if you thought about a managed service. So maybe just in a few minutes in closing, you know, you can share, you know, what, what folks might expect from a security health check. 
Yeah, to uh, to start with, uh, um, what you said is spot on. We need to shift to thinking in a risk-based approach as opposed to a tool-based approach. So what are the risks to the company and which risks are we willing to accept versus mm -hmm. which risks we're not willing to accept? And then what is the action plan to resolve those risks we're not willing to accept or to treat them, mm -hmm. in other words? Um, our security health check is really designed to do three things. It's uh, it, it effectively is based on identifying vulnerabilities in your environment. Uh, and it does that in a uh, combination of the ways. It does vulnerability scanning. It does um, internal penetration testing using that security controls validation concept I talked about. And it does an external um, penetration testing of your public facing assets. And the outcome of that is really to show you here's the gaps and it's complementary. And in the complementary form, we give you the top 10 of the things that we see so that you have at least an idea of what are the top 10 things in my environment. Now, what's, what's handy and valuable about what I just shared with you is that that is no cost as part of our service. We do that monthly for all of our customers. And we share that data with them so that they have visibility into what their risks are and can build those risk matrices and risk plans and treatment of those risks into their business processes. That takes the focus away from being you know, tool centric and worried about is this tool protecting me or not and rather focusing on, okay, the biggest risk to our business is X, Y, or Z and here's the treatment we're going to implement to address it. Mm -hmm. Great. And from that also, I mentioned, um, because we did talk about cost, right? And maybe, you know, what what would a small business be thinking about versus a larger business? And certainly um, as part of uh, an outcome, I guess, of that um, security controls um, or security health check that we do, um, there is usually if a customer is, is interested, a, a follow-along conversation that can say, hey, given what we've seen, given what you've shared with us, you know, this is how we could build this out for you, depending on what it is that they're interested in, in, um, in the help. So as always, we offer our services to you. Um, you know, we, we take pride in helping organizations um, strengthen their security posture. We take pride in helping organizations successfully um, weather uh, whatever attacks there are out there, um, be they cyber, be they, you know, a natural disaster. Um, we really are in business to help other companies stay in business and, and thrive. So we welcome your questions. We welcome your outreach. And um, with that, we will sign off for January and look forward to seeing you next month. Thank you so much, Shaheen, as always. Bye. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye.